Well, I'm thankful that though we've had some noises on the road, we haven't yet had a Harley, Harley Davidson, I don't know, move through. Here it comes. Well, on this uh, Lord's Day, on a day of Thanksgiving, I want to first say with uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, For this reason, since I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I think about the time that our family has been here, about one-third of that time now has been in the midst of COVID, about six months' time. And yet, though that's been a time in many ways of separation, we have felt isolation in certain ways, I'm so thankful for each one of you, for your faith in Christ, uh, for your steadfastness, for your persistence, Uh, thankful to God for the way He has held us together. Uh, so I'm thankful, thankful for you, for your commitment, uh, for your support uh, in many different ways. Thanksgiving, uh, that's, that's the theme this morning. It's perhaps important for us to be asking ourselves, uh, am I thankful? For what am I thankful in my life? Do I have a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude? Uh, we might not think that thankless hearts or a thanklessness is uh, the mark, a mark of the world. But remember Paul's words in Romans chapter 1 when he was describing the wrath of God being poured out upon those who do not know God, ultimately those who are uh, fallen. He said, he said of them, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. Thanksgiving. It is a mark of, of, the, of, of the Christian faith. George Herbert, the 17th century Anglican poet, in one of his poems, he wrote a prayer. It said, Lord, you have given so much to me. Give me just one more thing, a grateful heart. G.K. Chesterton said, the chief idea of my life is the practice of taking things with gratitude and not taking them for granted. Throughout the scriptures, indeed, thankfulness and gratitude is a theme that runs Uh, all the way through. Paul in 1 Thessalonians says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And yet there are times when expressing thanks is very challenging. It takes a certain resolve. I'm going to use the word grit. And I'm going to say that Christians are to be gritty, not greedy, gritty. We might call it a godly grit. Why is that required? Why is such resolve to have thankful hearts required at times? Because so much of life is filled with pain and suffering, disruptions, challenges. We see it all around. We see it within our own lives. And the Lord's primary shape, the way He sanctifies us, is not the removal of that pain. Most of the time, it's not through the removal of suffering or pain in our lives, but teaching and shaping us to have grateful hearts in the midst of God's sufficient grace to meet our weaknesses. That's the central point this morning of the text and of these words, Psalm 138, that a heart of thanks 
is birthed, it's born, when we see and value the sufficiency of God's grace in the midst of our own weaknesses. Even in the midst of our own sin, that we see the sufficiency of God's grace. So it is Psalm 138, a psalm that is eight verses. So listen now to God's word. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. And they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. This Psalm 138 begins a collection of psalms toward the end of the Psalter here, 138 to 145, that are all attributed to David, King David. And this is considered a song of thanks, a song of praise. It starts that way, I give you thanks, O Lord. Some versions of the Bible say, I give you praise, O Lord. Uh, In the Old Testament, the word thanks and praise have at their root the same meaning. Thanks and praise are expressions of gratitude. To be thankful is to give praise. James Montgomery Boyce, the the late pastor, 10th Prez, called this psalm a, a bold man's praise. And we'll see why. A bold man's praise. It is a song and psalm of praise and thanks. But notice how the thanksgiving here takes on certain expressions. First of all, it's with the whole heart. It's not a half measure. It's not an ordinary expression of gratitude, as perhaps when someone opens the door for you, and you go through and you say thank you. Or someone allows you to go in front of them at the checkout line and you say thank you. We're thankful, but it's not probably with a whole heart. This is no ordinary expression of thanks. There is a fullness. There is an abounding of thanksgiving in this person's heart. A richness. It has taken depth. Notice also the expression of thanks here having a far-reaching influence, a global even impact. He says in verse 4, All the kings of the earth shall give thanks to you, O Lord. If you turn back to Psalm 137, verse 3, while the people of God there are in the context of captivity in Babylon, it says, There our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors amusement, mirth, saying, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. They're being taunted. There was a time when they were being taunted by their captors, but now in this psalm, He's saying a time is coming when not only the captors, but the kings of the captors are going to give praise to the name of our God. 
for they've heard the word of the Lord. And then we also see this thanksgiving have an expression of, of bearing witness to the world. That is, this psalmist is testifying to those around him who God is. I give thanks, O Lord, before the gods I sing your praise. And so our thanksgiving is a proclamation. It is a testimony to the people around us and to one another of who God is and what God has done before a watching world. But perhaps most notable, most relevant for us is that the expression of thanks here comes in the midst of trouble, right in the midst of pain. Look at verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. He mentions his enemies, the hand of God delivering him from them. In verse 3, he speaks of calling out to God and God answering him, even increasing the strength of his soul. It's in the midst of trouble. People do not usually associate trouble with thanksgiving in the same line of thought. It's much more natural to be thankful and to express joy when things are smooth, when things are going well, circumstantially in our lives. Perhaps when someone receives a promotion at work, or you're mentally and physically feeling fit and well, uh, when you feel a sense of peace and flourishing in your relationships, in your marriage, in your family, and other friendships and relationships. But what about gratitude in the midst of trouble? When you're feeling pain, when you're feeling loss, how do we gain a heart of thanks if we're in the midst of deep relational strife? What does Thanksgiving look like right in the middle of a pandemic? When normal life is disrupted, how do I gain gratitude in the midst of the loss of a loved one? Or I'm facing daily chronic pain. Why be thankful in the midst of pain? This is where the psalmist teaches us. And not only instructs us, but demonstrates, we see here, where to, we are to root our thanks. Where we are to root our praise of God. And it's not in the changing and shifting circumstances of life. It's in the sufficiency of God and the sufficiency of God's grace in the midst of our own weakness. Many of us probably remember well the story and the passing of the colonial preacher, Jonathan Edwards, 1758, he was around 55 years old. That was the result of complications from a, a vaccination for smallpox. When his wife, Sarah, as she was geographically at a distance, heard of his passing, she wrote to one of their 11 children, and she wrote these words. My very dear child, what shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. The Lord has done it. He has made me adore his goodness that we had him so long. But my God lives and he has my heart. We're all given to God. There I am and love to be. Your ever affectionate mother, Sarah Edwards. 
when we see our, our trouble or our pain met with the sufficiency of God's grace, what comes out is praise. Thanks. Sarah Edwards expresses that. The Lord has my heart. We're given to God. There I am. I love to be. Sinclair Ferguson said, A heart of thanksgiving comes not first from knowing who I am, but whose I am. To whom do I belong? And out of that flows an understanding of who I am. And you see that in the psalmist. He knows to whom he belongs, that God's grace is sufficient, that God's constant care is upon him. He says, on the day I called, you answered me. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve me, your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his his purpose for me. You see the close and constant care of God upon him. And he knows it full well. Last week in the Wall Street Journal, I I read an article entitled, When COVID Closed Nursing Homes, One Husband Moved In. It said this, When nursing homes began barring visitors to keep the coronavirus out, Jack Eccles decided to move in. Hillcrest Convalescent Center in Durham, North Carolina, had turned him away on March 12th, right when the virus hit us. When he arrived, as usual, to spend much of the day with his wife, Jerry, who suffers from Alzheimer's disease. So he returned the next day with a suitcase of books, clothes, medications, and his computer. Hillcrest agreed to rent him a single room in its assisted living area so he could care for Jerry, who is 91. For five months, Dr. Eccles, who is 93 and a longtime Baptist pastor, hasn't left, and has rarely seen the sun. Three times a day, he feeds her. He said this, Hillcrest sometimes feels like a prison, but I will not move out. We are married. I want to be with her. She took care of me for 70 years. Now it's my turn. Sometimes we can't answer the why question. Why COVID? We could give maybe many responses to that. Why its isolating effect? Uh, Why this debilitating feeling of anxiety or depression? Why this ongoing fight over a struggling sin? But we know our God has moved in and he will not move out. He will not move out. He's not just aware of our needs. He is constantly and closely caring. On the day I called, you answered me. Amidst trouble, you preserved my life. You remember those words from Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. He said, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Strength does not come from the absence of troubles. It comes from the sufficient grace of God in the midst of those troubles. And what flows out is praise. Thanks. I heard these words yesterday. I had to fit them in here. Deliver a man from his circumstances and you doom him to fear again. The circumstances is what owns this particular person. They're fearful of certain things. You deliver him from those circumstances, he's going to be fearful of what's coming next. Deliver a man from his circumstances and you doom him to fear again. Deliver a man from fear and no circumstance can hold sway over him. Uh, You may not remember the first sermon I preached at PCC. I would be surprised if you did. (laughs) I don't really much remember it myself, but I remember the text. It's a text that has meant much to me, and it's relevant, and it relates to Psalm 138. It's back in 2 Corinthians, the same letter that Paul speaks about the thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 1.8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly deburdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. The burden and the persecution was so great, Paul believed the prospect of death was a certainty. That's where he was at. But then he reveals the purpose of the suffering. But that was to make us rely, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see, it's precisely in our troubles, our pains, our sufferings, that we then come to know our dependence upon the Lord, His preserving hand. I heard these words as well yesterday. You're wondering, who said these marvelous things yesterday? The glory of God is more magnified when we offer praise in pain than than when we are grateful and good. We should be grateful when things are good, when all is well. But praise in pain comes from one who has known God's sufficient grace in the midst of weakness. The psalmist says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. Kind of sounds similar to what David had said in Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And it's not just deliverance from trouble. Perhaps here David expressing deliverance from Saul's efforts to persecute him, put him to death. It's more than that. In verse 3, On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. John Calvin says the sense here is that he received a fresh strength in his spirit. 
And that's what happens when we look to the Lord devotionally, prayerfully. That's what's happening here in the psalm. We have the heart of a person who is devotional, prayerful, looking to the Lord. The psalms, like all of Scripture, are not merely informational. They're to be transformational in our lives. And that's what's on display here by David. It's a life transformed by the sufficient grace of God. And so what's the result of this? What's the result of our trials and pains being met with the the sufficiency of God's grace? Thanks and praise. The end of COVID, whatever that might be, will not be the cause of thanksgiving. A life free of pain or suffering will not be the cause of gratitude. Circumstances do not cause praise. People can have the most wonderful of circumstances and be full of ingratitude. Thanks and praise are the work of God's transforming grace in our lives, no matter what the circumstance. That's how the Christian sticks out. And the psalmist expresses that. He has known that grace. I think the takeaway, the action from this psalm, comes from the very root of the word thanks. As I mentioned, some Bibles use, I give thanks to you, I give thanks to you, O Lord, or I give praise to you. Both of those words at root have this idea of to confess. Not confession of sin here, but to confess, that is to declare, to make a declaration regarding the goodness and glory of God. That's what we are to do in our lives. Our our life is to be a declaration, a confession of of God's goodness. I'm reminded of the title of uh, Robert Weber's book, Worship is a Verb. Among other things, it is an action. And the psalmist is expressing a heart of praise. Remember Mordecai's words to Esther. While God's people were under Persian rule, the future of the people of God was in doubt. And uh, he said to her, if you keep silent at this time, and not just silent with with your mouth, but in her case, indeed that, but the sound of our heart, If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I would submit to you that this is our time. This is the time that God has ordained for us. This is the circumstances that God has ordained for us. Both corporately as God's people, individually, in your own life, in the life of your family, this is our time to express gratitude to God, to live with grateful hearts, because indeed God's grace is sufficient for us in the midst of our pain. And this thanks has missional, global implications. The psalmist says, Before the gods I sing your praise. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. They've heard the words of your mouth. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord. 
David's praise, uh, our praise, bears witness to the watching and listening world. In our gratitude, the world might wonder, how can such a people be so full of thanks? Where is this gratitude coming from? What is it that these people possess that they can be so full of thanksgiving? For what are we thankful for? Is it not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? This one who knew no sin but became sin for us. Is it not in the indwelling presence and Spirit of God who watches over us with a perfect providence, who leaves nothing to chance? Is it not in this one whom the psalmist says, He he will fulfill His purpose for me? God is carrying out His purpose for us, for each of us. Indeed, that purpose at heart is that we would be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say in John chapter 12 as He was facing His own prospect of death and in the midst of suffering? He says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour? No. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And God ordains suffering or pain, weakness, trials for us, that we would know the sufficiency of His grace. And that as that grace meets our challenges and our trials, what would be born is hearts of gratitude, together and individually, to the glory of His name. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, how we thank You that though the reality of each of our lives is one of trials, one of suffering to varying levels, how we thank You that Your remedy is something deeper even than the particular deliverances from those circumstances. Indeed, You do deliver us from those things. But yet, in the midst of them, we see and know and feel uh, the sufficiency of Your mercy. Lord, how we thank You for the good news that in Jesus Christ and His death on the cross, His resurrection, that, Lord, You have met the problem of our sin with the sufficiency of Your grace. We pray, O Lord, that out of our hearts would flow gratitude, that You would be doing that work in each one of us. We pray, Lord, that You would bind us together as Your people. Continue to be faithful, Lord, to us as we seek, Lord, to be faithful to You. Go before us, Lord, in every way as we seek to obey You and love You with all of our heart. Help us, Lord, to turn toward one another in grace and love, binding us together as one people, in one spirit, around that one true and pure gospel. And we pray all these things with thanks in our hearts. Amen.